Hello, my name is Anna Chashina and welcome to my podcast Sustainability Explored. Judging by the name of the podcast, uh, you can expect to hear um, elaborated thoughts uh, and science-backed um, sentences, statements on sustainability, climate change, environment, uh, the concepts of um, green um, economy, green bank, uh, greener infrastructure. Uh, somewhere along the journey, along the way, we will also touch the topic of zero waste movement, minimalism, and so on and so forth. I would like this podcast to be useful both to the individuals as well as to the corporate um, environment leaders and those who want to introduce a, a more you know, sustainable, environmental free, environmentally friendly approach to their lives or the lives of their uh, companies and organizations. So today in the podcast, um, uh, in the episode number two, yes, we are still fresh, young and full of energy. So the episode number two, uh, I chose the topic which sounds um, unfamiliar probably to most of uh, the listeners. I, I almost said re readers to most of the listeners of the podcast, but is crucial nowadays for the... Um, corporate sector. So the topic that I am exploring today is environmental and social management system or ESMS for short. I'd like to know how the need, and I not only want to know, I will also explore and explain with a little bit of historical um, excourse why the companies are integrating environmental and social management systems nowadays, where the need um, emerged from, whether any results have been achieved so far, and if it's in any way uh, useful to the nowadays society. So let's start. Um, environmental and social management system sounds like a bunch of buzzwords and this is why in order not to dance around the subject i'll take you by the hand and walk you from uh, the beginning of the times so to say uh, from the historical moment of when globally the society started to think about environment did you know uh, that the world's first minister of environment was appointed only in, guess when? Only in 1970 in the United Kingdom. The Ministry of the Environment was created in response to the growing environmental concerns of the 1960s. And these concerns are illustrated in the, the Silent Spring by Rachel Carson, a book uh, that I highly recommend everyone to read, a book on the effects of the use of pesticides. The book was published in 1962, and at that time there was no country on earth had a ministry of environment or in any way um, you know, put the environment into the national or even international, like now, agenda. 
Then there was a Torrey Canyon oil spill in 1967. The event was also called, or used to be called, the day the sea turned black. Shortly about this event, this is when the super tanker called SS Torrey Canyon hit rocks off the coast of Cornwall, spilling more than a hundred thousand tons of crude oil into the English Channel. Beaches were left knee-deep in, in sludge, and thousands of seabirds were killed in what remains the UK's worst environmental accident. Going discovering the, um, the event of this Torrey Canyon um, oil spill reminded me of an event that happened in my lifetime, actually quite recently, a couple of years ago, when the British Petroleum tanker uh, spilled the oil by accident in the Mexican Gulf. The Torrey Canyon disaster did have some positive consequences, including the creation of maritime regulations on pollution. The Torrey Canyon disaster was a very, you know, it was a story that had a lot of lessons for the humanity. And it also did have some positive consequences, including the creation of maritime regulations on pollution. A young David Bellamy, um, at that time the environmental consultant, was asked to comment on the disaster, and his unique style led to a career in television. Speaking more than 50 years later, he said, the Torrey Canyon disaster was a milestone in the environmental world. It was a tragedy that had to happen before the public became focused on potential loss of natural life in this case, marine. The media images of pollution and the attendant wildlife disasters made people begin to become involved in this new ethical conservation. It also became apparent that life is more resilient than anybody thought. In general, if an oil spill is contained, the marine flora will eventually return. I took the examples of these two milestones in the environmental world, the Torrey Canyon oil spill and the silent spring by Rachel Carson, to mark 1970, the creation of the first Ministry of Environment in the United Kingdom. The first minister, the world's first minister of environment, became Lord Walker of Worcester. Peter Walker, Walker's um, appointment as a Secretary of State for the Environment was notable not only in the fact that he became the world's first environment minister, but also because he almost instantly became a source of considerable interest at the 1972 Stockholm Conference, which was the which states um, for the United Nations Conference on the Human Environment. The Torrey Canyon spill that I mentioned earlier was a direct, we can say so probably today, was a direct um, reason for creation of this environment, of, uh, of this uh, Ministry of the Environment in the United Kingdom. Not only the UK has suffered from the oil spill, but also France, so the need was too obvious to ignore.
One of the workers' immediate concerns was to clean up the nation's waterways. The measures put in place have had substantial results for river life, first of all. For instance, the Thames River was declared biologically dead in 1957. Can you imagine that? But today, many species of fish thrive in the river, including wild salmon and trout. Lord Walker, Walker died in 2010, but his work achievements, his accomplishments, his commitment to the environment and to really making uh, the waters, first of all, of the nation, and then the broader scale environment cleaner, live long after him. Since then, since 1970, Humanity made a series of rapid technological advances that significantly changed the way we think, act, consume, and live. These advances have a profound effect on the economic, political, cultural, environmental, and of course social landscape. And even though they brought significant benefits and opportunities, far greater awareness of the environment and climate challenges we all face was created as well. The need for new orientation in this world, new rules and new standards was deemed to appear sooner or later. Now an increasing number of institutions and organizations, not only ministries, even though they started to, to pop up, to emerge uh, globally, in every country of the world, not sure about every, but probably in most of the countries globally, there is now an environmental, the Ministry of Environment or Sustainable Development. Uh, in different countries, they're called differently. But that's not the point. An increasing number of institutions globally are voluntarily adopting um, international environmental and social standards to identify and mitigate environmental and social risks, also creating opportunities and harmonizing the requirements for environmental and social sustainability. It happened in 2006 that the International Finance Corporation released its performance standards on environmental and social sustainability. They provide guidance to the organizations on how to design and operate projects in a way that avoids, mitigates, manages, and or offsets their environmental and social impacts. Environmental uh, International Finance Corporation is one of the five branches of the World Bank, and their performance standards were first release, released in 2006, then revised in 2012, and they are used globally from, from the US to Asia, you know, as a standard, as a best practice standard. There are eight standards um, varying from or covering the topics of labor and working conditions, assessment and management of environmental and social risks and impacts. That is, by the way, the first standard. The second is labor and working conditions, um, resource efficiency and pollution prevention, community health, safety and security, 
land acquisition and involuntary resettlement, biodiversity conservation and sustainable management of living natural resources, indigenous people, and cultural heritage. These standards create a roadmap for the companies or organizations or even banks, financial institutions, to lead them in their sustainability journey, to assess, to spot on the risks um, for the environment and also community, so the social circle, um, to spot them in order to avoid or minimize where possible and to know about them, of course, in advance. That's, that's the best. So it's not only for the companies, institutions or organizations that are concerned with their environmental and social issues and standards. Um, financial institutions, especially in emerging markets, are also turning to various international standards considered as best practice. In recent years, voluntary industry frameworks, such as the Equator Principles, have helped build an international consensus around the need for and benefits of environmental and social standards. So what is the Equator Principle? Uh, I know I have to define the, that more specifically. The Equator Principle the Equator Principles um, is a risk management framework adopted by financial institutions for determining, assessing and managing, as I have already mentioned it before, environmental and social risk in projects they finance or give loans to, issue loans to. It is primary, primarily intended to provide a minimum standard for due diligence and monitoring to support responsible risk decision-making. They do apply globally, they equate these equator principles to all industry sectors and to four financial products. Product finance advisory services, project finance, project-related corporate loans, and bridge loans. The relevant thresholds and criteria for application is described in detail um, in the scope of section of the environment uh, of the equator principles in the current climate climate literally speaking and economically wise in the economical climate companies are under pressure to perform well um, to take into account and minimize the risks they eventually challenged with this is like in uh, alice in wonderland uh, by the way no Alice through the looking glass of Lewis Carroll. Do you remember the moment uh, when the queen tells Alice, now here you see it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast as that. This is exactly, um, perfectly describes the situations companies find themselves in. You have to run as fast, even twice as fast as you can, as, as you already do, to keep up with modern day, with the requirements, with the environment, with the changing environment, and especially changing climate. 
There is um, a number of reasons for which the organization started to assess its environmental and social risks. For the ease of understanding, let's break them down to external and internal ones. So how about the external reasons first? Companies face a range of environmental and social challenges in their operations. For example, uh, increased energy and raw material costs that pushes them to do what it takes to reduce the amount of energy and raw materials they would need in their operations. Therefore, they redesign their operational uh, their operation processes in order to use less, use less, and therefore pay less. The society is becoming increasingly demanding and sophisticated. Uh, we know that the modern generations now pay additional um, attention. They have extra concern about whether the business or the products they are purchasing from certain companies, from whatever providers, are environmentally conscious, whether they take into account the communities they're working in. We remember too well the accidents at the uh, fashion fabrics, fashion at the fashion factories, uh, the collapse of the buildings in um, where the workers were in India, Bangladesh. And we, as consumers, we develop the habit of not tolerating it. Consumer awareness and concern about environmental and social issues actually grows rapidly. Then, as sad as I am to mention this, but I have to, it's climate change. Climate change becomes a big game changer. We will now have some already, some countries do already have climate refugees. Uh, scientists have modeled um, how the world will look like when the water level rises uh, up to a certain level. Uh, many unprecedented amount of islands will simply disappear. Of course, it bothers, and bothers is probably the light word to say, uh, bothers the inhabitants of those islands and they already try to find ways how to how to adapt. Changes in local and international legislation, the rigidity of the market rules, the growth of the capacity and the influence of regulatory bodies on environmental protection and labor also pushes companies uh, in search of new ideas, innovations, um, creative ways of rethinking their design uh, cycles, rethinking their life cycles, the product life cycles, um, while also complying with local and international legislation. Environmental and social risks inevitably lead to financial risks. Let's say um, a bank has decided to loan a company or hydropower plant, for example, and whether uh, 
which is directly dependent on the water flow, on the um, conditions of climate uh, in the region, on the amount of water available. And if those environmental and social risks are not assessed properly, the hydropower plant will simply not work or it will not generate, um, at last, it will not generate the, um, enough energy. So that will stop the return of the loan. So financial risk for the um, financial institution is present. Then companies are trying to, to orient themselves uh, to the foreign markets. They need to meet their requirements the requirements of the international law, country-specific industry standards and consumer requirements, also um, show them the need for the proper ESMS, once again, the environmental and social management system. And as I have already mentioned earlier, um, companies and organizations are sometimes dependent on the investors' money, on the sponsorships. So loans from respectable financial institutions like IFC, International Finance Corporation, uh, EBRD, European Bank on Reconstruction and Development, um, OPIC, Overseas Private Investment Corporation, or NEFCO, the Nordic Environment Finance Corporation, to name a few. Banks that adopted green framework as well, like Deutsche Bank, uh, Benpe Paribas, Erste Bank, and many others. And especially green banks, the concept of which we briefly discussed in the episode number one. That need to make these all these institutions, the financial institutions, um, uh, the green banks, uh, they need to make sure they are investing in and financing the organizations and companies and projects that are able to meet certain criteria. As for the internal reasons, um, that's about reducing material costs, minimizing waste, enhancing competitiveness and profitability through the means of corporate sustainability. Global reasons for the need of assessment of environmental and social issues are the following. It's the reassessment of what constitutes the creation of value and more recognition of the interdependence of economic, environmental and social systems. You see, all these reasons and causes clearly show the importance of the ESMS in today's global transition economy. A sound environmental and social management system should not be scary, complicated or expensive. Instead, to be effective, such a system needs to be scaled to the nature and size of the company, documented and then put into practice and obviously constantly monitored. ESMS, if built inclusively, serves companies to integrate its objectives into core business operations through a set of clearly defined repeatable processes. Procedures outlined and described in checklists are power. 
the whole checklist idea, I love it. I love it a lot. The whole checklist idea was best described in the Atul Gawande's checklist manifesto, the book I um, listen in the audio format and I can already recommend because it's priceless, it's so on spot, it's so uh, inspiring and um, how shall I even put it, it's so um, technical but in the best possible sense of this term. I really recommend this book, yes. Um, a, key, a key feature of the idea of um, continual improvement that I said, it has the, the good system, any management system, has to go through continual improvement. The checklists will provide you with the substantial amount of data to make certain conclusions. And then let's not forget about the plan, do, checked act cycle pdca so apart from thoroughly following the checklists another commonly used method uh, the good old pdca shall be put in place nothing again um, over complicated the questions the organization should ask when considering to integrate environmental and social management system We'll break them down into these four categories. So plan. When you are considering, or if you are the leader of the organization or the company, private company, when you are considering integrating ESMS, ask yourself a question. What is important for you as an organization and what are you going to do about it? Then the phase do. Which actions will you take? That uh, sounds, e sounds easy, but not so uh, in the reality. But then it always helps. It always helps in the further uh, steps. Then check. Uh, after you have implemented certain actions from your do list, you check. So you ask yourself a question. Do you see the change you expected after implementing the actions? and act again. So the fourth uh, stage is acting. What will you change if results are not what you expected? A good environmental and social management system constitutes of nine uh, interconnected elements. The policy, the identification, which is the framework of the company, the statement and um, outlines what the company's commitment is towards sustainability and not only, and what the company values the most. Then identification of risks and impacts. Then we go down to management programs. Then we come to the organizational capacity and competency. I will elaborate a little bit more on each of these steps a little bit later. Emergency preparedness and response plan. One of the key um, elements, key features of any good working system is the stakeholder engagement. So identifying who your stakeholders are and what they expect from your company and what you can provide them with, here including even the information. 
is crucial for, for the company and for the sound and working environmental and social management system. Then we go to the external communications and grievance mechanism. Ongoing reporting to affected communities and monitoring and review of the, of the system as a whole. Each of these nine elements is important and its interconnection makes the healthy and working trouble-free mechanism. Later, I'll expand on every element. With The, the more we move uh, with the podcast, the more we move with the... Uh, each and every episode we will elaborate more on the concept so the listeners will have um, a comprehensive view and understanding of the issues that are circulating nowadays in the world and that are a must fortunately or unfortunately for them uh, if we want to still live in this world and to live in a clean world. So let's look first at the advantages and benefits such a system can bring to your company. I think we have already um, spoke enough or had enough of the elements, uh, the reasons why it emerged, which challenges the companies face today. So let's go directly to the advantages of, the, of such a system, ESMS system implementation. So as I have already mentioned, the need for an ESMS can come from both within the organization and from external sources. For example, financial donors. If born from within, it usually means that the top management recognizes the importance of social and environmental responsibility and wants to make something happen, has enough leadership and commitment to start integrating the new initiative into operational and capital investment decision-making. In fact, leadership and organizational culture are the most crucial determinants in successfully managing the various trade-offs that middle managers face when they try to manage social, environmental and financial performance simultaneously. And here I can refer you to, um, to an author and the paper that was very useful to me at some point of time and even while I prepared uh, for this episode, Mark Epstein uh, and the paper Implementing Sustainability, the Role of Leadership and Organizational Culture. In this case, in the case where the need and understanding of um, ESMS was born from within, so it came from directly from leadership and top management. ESMS allows for consistent anticipation and resolution of issues that businesses face the, to prevent potential risks from becoming actual issues. You all know, we all know, that prevention is always easier and less expensive than cure. But how? How to how to perform, how to do well, how to execute, how to set up this environmental and social uh, system. Uh, the answer is via thorough compliance with national and international standards and following the, sets, the set of companies' own policies, uh, regular 
environmental and social due diligence, accountability, an interesting point, and reporting. What is accountability? It's when... What is accountability? This is the obligation of an individual or organization to account for its activities, accept responsibility for them, and to disclose the results in a transparent manner. It also includes the responsibility for money or other interested property. So what are the advantages, finally, of the ESMS integration? It reduces costs, a more efficient use of energy and material resources helps to reduce production and waste disposal costs. It enhances re reputation, improvement of relationship with external stakeholders, better brand recognition and standing out in the marketplace, and even in general, climate and environment concerned guys look better in the crowd. Increase market opportunities and expanded Horizons for business development, organizations' internal well-established order uh, certainly makes it easier to comply with world-recognized standards like ISO series, for example, on uh, environmental management or occupational health and safety. Then the ben benchmark standards for ENS risk management and international legislation, of course. When the need for a sound ESMS comes from external sources, this usually means investor or financial donor wants your organization to comply with certain rules and requirements. Such a setup rarely has a place for leadership and what I call wisdom within of the organization itself, but instead has a very strong financial trigger. No environmental and social management system in place means no money, as simple as that. So let's go to the final part of this episode, the recipe for success. For any new initiative in the organization, ESMS is not being an exclusion. Three stages are crucial for success. The first one, awareness. Everyone, literally everyone in the organization should be aware of the changes organization undergoes. And if not help it, at least definitely not be an obstacle to its realization. Corporate lectures and additional communication of the core messages by the executives will surely help. Communication, I think, is the key to success. It puts all the questions in the limelight. If done properly, it leaves no room for unwanted rumors and wrong guesses. It also involves people so they feel responsible and again accountable in the changing environment. Number two, commitment. Uh, this one is a bit hard as it requires a lot of willpower from the top executives. They need to send a clear and loud message both internally and externally that environmental and social risks management becomes a long-term commitment and will contribute to an organizational, organization's success. And number three, implementation. Of course, just being aware and committed on words or even on paper is not enough. A documented action plan, and most importantly, doing steps, will gradually shift the organization in the right direction. 
who is going to do it? A trained and committed personnel integrated on the organizations, integrated in the organization's life and operations to the fullest. Hope, now you see that ESMS is good to have if you want your organization to make a difference in this world, to have a positive environmental and not only impact, environmental, social, economical, cultural impact and contribute to a change that goes beyond the limits of the organization itself. Moreover, implementation and going the path, going through the sustainability journey, unfold the potential of the organization and show its hidden treasures along the way. I hope you enjoyed. Um, you can ask me questions. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can send your questions. I will answer them in written. You can also send me your questions for to elaborate, to expand on them, to answer them in the future episodes. For now, that's all. And thank you very much for listening. See you next time in a week. Mm-hmm.